Fig Tree Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our ongoing operations rely entirely upon the generous donations from our supporters. If you've been impacted by our faith lessons, we ask that you would consider including Fig Tree Ministries as part of your annual giving plan. Secure giving is easy through the donate page at our website, figtreeteaching.com. We've also included a link below in the description section of this video. With your support, Fig Tree Ministries can expand our reach into the world, helping others just like you deepen their understanding of the Bible and connecting these principles to the transformative power of individual spiritual growth. All of this is so that we as a community can positively impact the kingdom of God in the world today. So may God richly bless you and all of your studies. So since we've been in the mystical for six weeks or so, starting out with the idea of Christmas and then moving through the mystical ideas of Christmas, and then how do we, be, how do we transform into the image of God? And, and that's all lofty, and it doesn't seem like solid ground because it's mystical. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next few weeks back on solid ground. So everyone will be thankful they feel the terra firma under their feet. And that is going to be the region surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And we'll just keep walking and walking and walking and looking at the stories and talking about the region around the Sea of Galilee until we run out of places to go. So today will be uh, much more of an introduction. As we go each week through the Sea of Galilee, there's certain areas that we'll, we'll keep repeating that will stand out. And over time, as you learn them, it will help guide you as you read a story to be able to say, aha, where is that taking place? And then why did Jesus act this way or say this thing or do this? Very often we find that because we realize where the story is taking place. So we're going to do uh, Sea of Galilee part one. You can see the picture behind me. Thankfully, no matter where the weather is that you may be experiencing right now, the Sea of Galilee sits about 700 feet below sea level, kind of like the Salton Sea out to the east of us. So uh, the weather's always nice. So no matter where you are, just transport yourself mentally to the sunshine uh, of the Galilee. So that picture that you're looking at, and I'll explain what every, give you all the geographical details, that picture is the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. On your sheet, on your handout, you have a map, and I'll show you that map in a minute, but that map will be helpful as a tour guide as we're moving through some of these places to see where we're going. Now, for those of you that love maps, well, you, can, you know, it doesn't matter which map it is, you can't get enough. There are others who are geographically challenged, and hopefully I'll be able to help inspire you to see why it's so important to see where on a map things are happening. Okay, so that's the northwest corner. That's the corner that Jesus ended up living, and almost all of his ministry takes place. I'll show you some of the cities there in a second. Beautiful landscape. I know many of you have been there. And let's go, let's go now to the map. One second. Okay, so if you look on your map, that photo was taken from a mountain that's called Mount Arbel. 
and that's on the left side of your sheet, the left side of your screen, right about the middle, and I'll put a red circle around it. So Mount Arbel is about like, I don't know, the halfway point of the Sea of Galilee. And it's a very tall mountain. I'll show you a picture in a minute. It's a great place to go for a hike. You can hike up to the top. Great views of the, of the Sea of Galilee and sheer cliffs. So that's where I was standing when I took that picture. So Mount Arbel is going to actually enter our story, the Jesus story. So we need to know that geographical location. So here's a picture of Mount Arbel. Now it kind of looks like the Prudential Rock. So there's a city called Arbella, that's the village. And then Mount Arbel sits like right there. If you hiked up that cliff and stood on the edge of that, just like the Prudential Rock, you're looking out over the lake. So it stands out. I mean, it's a prominent feature within the landscape. The Sea of Galilee sits in a, like a, a sunken crater, an old vault, it's volcanic. And a couple thousand feet above the Sea of Galilee are, is the rim that, that surrounds it. Okay, so that's Mount Arbel. Here's another shot of Mount Arbel looking, coming from the other direction. So you can just tell it's a prominent rock outcropping that stands out. Okay, so if we go back to the map now, from Mount Arbel, I'm looking in this direction, north, looking northeast, but it's taking a picture of the northwest corner. So you can see on your map, you have three cities that sit right along the Sea of Galilee. Magdala, Gennesaret, and Capernaum. And that's, again, well, we'll talk more in detail, but Capernaum, of course, is where Jesus went to live. That's where that camera is facing. So if I go back to the picture, it looks like this. That camera's facing to the, to the north. You get three cities. Magdala, you can't really see. It's below the cliff, but it sits right at the base of the cliff. Now, you all know Magdala because if you're from Magdala, you're a Magdalene. And if your name is Miriam and you're from Magdala, you're Mary the Magdalene. So Magdala, and I know many of you have been there, will take a trip to Magdala, God willing, in a couple weeks. Just an amazing place that they uncovered very recently, 2008. So it's, that's exciting stuff. So Magdala sits right on the shore, prominent, very wealthy fishing village, well-known for the fish that they exported. Then you have Gennesaret, a little bit further to the north, and then Capernaum off to the northeast. Okay, and that becomes, this becomes, again, I'll say it probably a million times, this is where almost all of Jesus' ministry is taking place, and I'll show you why in a minute. Now, one of the things we have to focus on is the idea that the land matters. The land, the geographic area, everything surrounding this region matters to the story. And so there's a term that's coined. I'm not sure who coined it, but people call it the fifth gospel. So you have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The fifth gospel is the land. That's why it's so important for people to travel to Israel and walk the land and you study with your feet. And that's how you learn the Bible through your feet, because you're walking the land and you're seeing the places and how these places are going to integrate 
into the stories themselves. So the fifth gospel. Now I've, I'm going to show you two books that I recommend. I've shown you these before, but I just I, I mainly want to put these on for the video. If anyone's trying to build a library of study material, these are two books that are good to have in your library. They're both by the same author. His name is Bargill Pixner, and he was an archaeologist and scholar that lived in Jerusalem. He passed away a few years ago. Now, this book is called With Jesus Through Galilee, and then his subtitle, According to the Fifth Gospel. So he's picking up on the idea that people talk about it as the fifth gospel, and then he takes you around to all the sites where G where our Bible talks about that Jesus did things. Unfortunately, his books are becoming increasingly difficult to find and therefore more expensive. So if you find one of these books and it it's at some outrageous price, keep looking. You'll probably have to pick one up used somewhere. But anyways, you can find them out there. So that's the first one with Jesus through Galilee. And the second one is called Paths of the Messiah. This one, he takes you from the Sea of Galilee and Nazareth down to Jerusalem. But anyways, these are some great reference book. I've had this book for 15 years, and I still can open it up and learn something new. It's a wealth of details. So those are just two references that you may consider if you want to study more about the Sea of Galilee, and then I'll be referencing Bargill Pixner. Here's another shot. Many of you, if you've been to the Sea of Galilee, you took a ride on one of these boats. These are like the Jesus tour boats. They take you out on the sea. This one was right at sun, uh, after sunset, so some tourists out. You can tell how deep the, the, the sea sits way below sea level. So ev anywhere you look around the, the Sea of Galilee, you see mountains above you. Anywhere you go, you got to go up to get out of there. Now, one of the main things that we want to talk about is throughout this whole time that we're going to be in the Sea of Galilee, it's all about context. So it's one of the main ideas. The context of every story makes a difference. And there's something very interesting about the Gospels as they're written that the gospel writers are very careful to tell you two things, who the audience is and where it happened. And since the divine author does not waste any ink, then if they tell you who the audience is and where it happened, then you pay attention. Now, sometimes there's a teaching that's abstracted, and there's nothing wrong with that because you can still learn something in the abstract. but often. Those Bible writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are telling you where it happened and who the audience was, and that's because it's important to know. So as we look at context of each story, who's in the audience? What's the location, right? So I've know, I know that we've done some parables in the past, and you always want to pay attention. Who's he telling the parable to? If it's the regular crowd, it's probably going to be a short parable and just use some you know, like the mustard seed, something from nature. If he's talking to the priests, it's a complex parable. He's weaving tons of scripture because he knows they're going to know the scripture and all the traditions around the scripture by heart. And so he, he talks to his audience. Jesus obviously is a, the number one communicator, 
but it's all about the audience, right? So you, you always want to see who's that parable directed towards? Ah, the priest. Well, then it's going to be complex. When he's talking to the crowd, it'll be less complex, and he'll use just, you know, some of the natural items. So it's something that we need to pay attention to, and I'll give you one example today from uh, the Sea of Galilee. But every time we study a story, we're going to be paying attention to these two things. Who's the audience and where's the location? So what I want to do is start, we're at now, I'm going to, right below your map on page one, here's Mount Arbel sitting on the left side of that map. That'll be kind of our anchor point. And then starting down the list, the areas around the Sea of Galilee were quite segregated. And I'll try to explain that. If I, if I don't get it all clearly out today, over the next couple of weeks, you'll understand why they're segregated and why people are avoiding certain places. But the Sea of Galilee was quite seg segregated. And we can loosely put them into four categories. So that's what I'm going to do. So as I mentioned, up in that upper left-hand corner of your map or on the screen, it's the northwest corner of the lake. That's where the religious Jews lived. Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. Matthew tells us most of Jesus' miracles happened in Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin. So all of Jesus, most of what he does is up in that northwest corner. Religious Jews, small villages, nothing fancy, not built like in the Greek style or in the Hellenistic style, there's small villages, and at the center of that village is a synagogue. Every village. And of course, at the center of that synagogue is the Torah, the, the, the Word of God. And that community is going to gather for one reason, to hear God's words. So religious Jews live up in that region, very pious, seeking to obey God in everything that they do. All right, now go straight down on your map to the lower left-hand corner, the southwest corner, and here we get a group that your Bible calls Herodians. And the, the name Herod, of course, is King Herod, and then his sons, which I'll talk about in a second here, but Herodians live down here. Secular Jews or pagans that supported the Roman Empire. All right, so let me do a little bit of background, briefly. We talked a few weeks ago about Herod the Great. So Herod the Great was king, the king of the Jews. He built the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He built the Herodium. That was that palace fortress uh, next to Bethlehem. He had, well, he had a number of kids. We're only going to talk about three of them. He had three sons. The first one was Archelaus. We talked about him because he was that ruthless king that they hated. He had Antipas, or Antipas. I guess that's tomato, tomato. Antipas, Antipas, however you want to emphasize it. And then Philip. So those are three of Herod the Great's sons. And when Herod the Great died, they each, well, Archelaus was going to be, they didn't become full king. Let's put it that way. Archelaus became an ethnarch. The other one's a tetrarch which means they didn't have a full kingdom. Archelaus, he was a horrible king, and he got deposed, and then the, the Roman governors eventually took over. But Antipas and Philip kept their kingdoms. 
And what's important to note about the Sea of Galilee is that Antipas put his capital city at Tiberias. Now, he, he actually switched his capital city, but let's, when Jesus shows up, the, ca- the, the city of Tiberias is the capital of the Roman power in that region. That's important for us to note. Philip, of course, he has his capital city at Caesarea Philippi. So, Tiberius, of, of course, is named after the Caesar, Caesar Tiberius, who gave Antip- Antipas power. Caesarea Philippi is Philip's Caesarea, named after the Caesar who gave Philip power. So you're always, you know, playing up to the person who's giving you power. But anyways, we want to point out that Antipas puts his capital city in 20 AD. He moves his capital to Tiberius. And that is going to be, that's going to create some trouble. I'll show you why. It's important to note that, that that city, Tiberias, wasn't there until 20 AD, 10 years before Jesus shows up. So 20 AD, Tiberias shows up as a city. As they're building the city, they find a graveyard. The Jews won't go there. They won't go near the graveyard. Plus, it's Roman power. So you have a city that the Jews avoid. You don't go there because, A, there's a cemetery. B, it's Herod's capital. Why would you go there? So you have this city that's the place you don't go around the lake. You tell your kids to go walk around it. Don't go near there. And I'll show you why in a minute, why this is so important for the rest of the audience around the lake. So you have Herod Antipas, and so he puts his uh, capital city at Tiberias, and therefore you get people there, Herodians. Uh, One thing that's interesting is nobody wanted to live in Tiberias, right? Because it was off limits to Jews. So Herod wanted to populate his city, so he shipped people in. He brought people who had either lost their land or former slaves and gave them a place to live so that his city would look populated. So it tells you how popular he was in that region. Okay, religious Jews, Herodians, next, go straight across the lake from the Herodians, and you get what's called the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis wasn't under Herod Antipas. They, were, they, they had their own type of government. So this is a, it's governed completely different. Decapolis, 10 cities, Decapolis, and these are all pagan cities. The one Decapolis city that sits right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, if you look at your sheet, your map, is called Hippos. It's kind of hard to read because it's because of the print, but it's called Hippos. Here's a one shot of, of our group standing. This is a theater. It's right on the edge. The, the city is built in straight-up Hellenistic Greek fashion. And of course, the Hellenists always take the best location, right? And you put your theater right out there where everyone's going to be able to relax as they're watching their play. So that theater sits right on the edge of the uh, Sea of Galilee. and. Uh, it's your typical Greek-designed city where everything is all about you, and you're number one, and you deserve a break today, and it's the exact opposite of what's over in that the area with the religious Jews. Let's put it that way. Okay, so that's Hippos. By the way, Hippos means horse. The hill that it's built on looks like a horse. So Hippos, like a hippodrome, is a, a horse racing. Hippopotamus. 
Mesopotamia river. So you have a hippopotamus as a river horse. So hippos uh, in, in Aramaic, susita. Susita means mare. So same thing. Okay. Religious Jews, Herodians, Decapolis, pagans. Last corner up in the upper right on your sheet, which is the north east corner of the lake, we're going to call it the place where the zealots lived. Now, there's some history there, but we're just going to say zealots. Those people who had a zeal for God's word, and they did not want anybody ruling over the land of Israel but God, and they resorted to violence. So they ended up, the, the, the capital, basically the headquarters of the zealot movement, is this little town that's on your map called Gamla. It's up in the upper left-hand corner. It sits way back in a wadi. Gamla means camel, so the, the hill looks like a camel hump in the middle of this wadi. Tried to find some good pictures of the hill, but it, they're tough to see on the computer, so I'm just going to show you one photo from Gamla. That's a synagogue that they found at Gamla in about 1968, I believe, they uncovered that synagogue. So that's from the first century, because Gamla was destroyed in 66 AD and never rebuilt. So that synagogue is from the time of Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if he went there or not, but the reality is, well, he probably went there, because he went to all the synagogues, but we don't know for sure. But this is really cool because it's one of the first synagogues they found that showed that, the synagogue, that synagogues were around in the first century. I'll show you in a few weeks the synagogue at Magdala. That was another one that was found recently. So anyways, that's at Gamla. This city sits on this really steep uh, hillside. And of course, the center of everything is the synagogue. Okay, so here we are. We've got the Sea of Galilee, kind of these four regions. Religious Jews on one side, Herodians, secular Jews, those that support Herod and the Roman power, the pagans and the Decapolis on the, right across the lake, and then the Zealots. And so now, as you look at all these different stories, we need to talk about each audience. What makes the story different? Why does Jesus say some places, don't tell anybody that I did this miracle? Then he goes to another place and he says, go tell everybody I did this miracle. What's the difference? Ah, the difference is, where is, he, where is the miracle taking place and who is intended audiences? Those zealots wanted to start a war with Rome and they wanted Jesus to be his king, their king. I mean, feeding 5,000, that's great logistics in a war. Raising the dead, this is amazing and, and you, you need that in battle, right? Someone's going someone's gonna to die in battle. Jesus can bring them back to life. So the zealots are always trying to push Jesus into a war. And that's what scholars think is what Judas is trying to do at the end. He's, Judas is zealot. He's trying to push Jesus to go fight the Romans. And Jesus won't do it. So anyways, okay. So important to have this basis of, of what's going on around the Sea of Galilee. We're going to look at two feeding stories. You have the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. We've done that before, but for everybody who's new or if you missed that class, we're going to do it again. Why is it so important that we see that? Because the feeding stories, feeding of the 5,000 takes place in the religious Jewish area, right next to Capernaum. 
feeding of the 4,000 happened somewhere in the Decapolis. We don't know exactly where. But every detail in those stories fit where the story is taking place, down to how many baskets of leftover bread there were. So you got to pay attention to the numbers because the numbers tell you what region you're in. They, go, they fit. That's, these details are so important. So this is what we're going to do. Where, where's, the thing, where's the event happening? Who are the audience? How would they react? What was it about the political and religious situation in that area that made everything so charged? Okay, brief overview. Let me uh, stop for one second and pause here. Next topic, politics and religion. Two things that are divisive, yes? What are the two things you don't talk about at Christmas dinner? Politics and religion. Because inevitably, everyone's going to be divided about something. So if we just say, hey, let's look at the region around the Sea of Galilee through the lens of both politics and religion and see what type of place this is that Jesus decided to go live. So the first thing to note is you really want to ask the question, why did Jesus go there? You know, there's after the, the, um, after the 60s, there was a movement of, you know, Jesus is a uh, kind of a beatnik, or, a beatnik uh, or peacenik, sorry. Jesus is like a hippie peacenik, and he's going to have a commune of people, and we're all going to go off, and everyone's going to be happy. But if Jesus wanted to do that, he would have stayed in Nazareth, which is in the middle of nowhere, right? Little village. He could have been all isolated with his commune of followers. That's not what he does. He comes right down into the heart of everything. In fact, it's a hotbed for both politics and religion. Also, it sits right on the main road, and we kind of miss this. So from the, if we take away the, these, these signs, from the north, from Damascus, there's the main road that's going to go from Damascus all the way down to Egypt. It's like I, Highway 5 is going to go right through your backyard or something. So there's a road that comes down, goes heads through the Rift Valley from the north, turns towards Capernaum, keeps going, and ends up exiting over by Magdala. That's one route. It also goes south this way. But realize millions of people are walking by as Jesus is out there with his disciples. He's not taking his message and hiding away in an in isolated place. He's right on, on I-5 or I-75 or whatever highway goes past you. And that's important to note. There's, these are bustling places. Matthew is a tax collector. Why does it make sense that he's at Capernaum? Because all the goods flowing into Herod Antipas's area is going to be, are going to be taxed as you're bringing the goods by on the road. So Matthew would be sitting right on that road as you enter Herod Antipas's kingdom. Not kingdom, region. Okay, so it's important to note, Jesus comes there specifically for a reason. And it's not a neutral place to be. Let me show you. I mentioned Tiberius, 20 AD, so 10 years before Jesus shows up. This is a brand new city by, the, by uh, Herod Antipas. Now, I already told you the Zealots live right across the sea, right? And the Zealots hate Roman power. 
So can you imagine how the zealots felt when, Ti when Herod Antipas chooses Tiberius to put his capital city? They're probably not too happy. And let me show you why they're really probably not happy about this. So it's a little bit of a history lesson. I showed you this, the Herod family, yes? So Herod Antipas's father was Herod the Great. When Herod the Great was coming into power, this is about, this is the, the 30s BC. He's rising into power. Rome gives him the Galilee as a region and says, now go take control of those people. And so Herod the Great comes in with Roman power and is killing his own people. The guy that will become the king of the Jews was murdering Jews for not liking the Roman power that was taking their land. You can imagine how people would react to that. So one of the places a massacre took place is right near the Sea of Galilee. And let me show you. So you have Mount Arbel. That's on your map. Well, right on the other side of Mount Arbel to the north are a whole bunch of caves. And what happened was you had a group of people who were resisting the Roman taking their land and resisting Roman taxes. And the Romans called them thieves. The thieves were tax thieves. So some scholars think that when Jesus was crucified between two thieves, it doesn't just mean people who stole something in the market. That's not a crucifiable offense. They're the thieves that are stealing, that are against the Roman Empire. So right next to Mount Arbel, as Herod is, is going after all of these uh, people who are rebelling against the Roman government, they all go up into the mountains and they hide out in these caves. And you can see on this picture here, that's the side of Mount Arbel, and there's caves all over it. Let me show you a little bit different picture. So these people who are resisting the Roman government go and hide out in, this, in the caves. Their families, everybody's up there. Josephus tells us that the Romans built like some scaffolding, you know, like the people who washed the high-rise windows, and they lowered the scaffolding down to those cave openings, and they slaughtered everybody inside. If they could, they would light the place on fire. So thousands of people die on Mount Arbel because they're resisting the Roman government and the Roman power, and this happens in the 30s BC. So these people who are revolting against Rome, they then hightail it out and they head across the Jordan River and they end up on the other side of the Jordan River. And at the time, they're not called Zealots with the capital Z, but they will be the precursor to the Zealot movement. Now you can imagine if your grandfather had been murdered by Herod under Roman authority or your you know, your, your uncle had his hands cut off by the Roman power, whatever it is, brutal oppression of these people. And here you are with that history, and then Herod Antipas, whose father did all that to you, puts his capital city right there at the Sea of Galilee. How are you feeling about that? How would people feel? I mean, he's, he's putting his thumb in the eye of the zealots to say, oh yeah, you don't like our power? Well, watch this. I'm going to put my capital right here. So now you have this political situation, right, that's diametrically opposed. 
that are zealots, anti-Roman. And you know, the zealots are going to push, and they're going to push, and they're going to push, and pretty soon in 66 AD, after they had had a reign of terror, basically domestic terrorists against the Romans, the Romans put their boot down. And that was the war that started in 66. The zealots then pushed all the other parties into a war. And you have, by 70 AD, Jerusalem's destroyed and the temple's destroyed. That zealot movement is starting in Galilee. So you've got a very tense political situation here at the Sea of Galilee. That's politics, right? Then you have, what about religion? Well, if you go back to this slide, you have religious Jews on one side and pagans on the other. So can you imagine if you've got teenagers and living over in Capernaum and the kids want to go over to Hippos and check out the new theater that just got built or the new fountain that they just put in because they piped in water from six miles away or, you know, how do you keep your kids from being dis the deceitful attraction of that? How do you keep them from going to Las Vegas is what I'm trying to say. It's right there. It's right in your backyard. You're looking at it every single day. So you have this. You also, so you have the Herodians, the Zealots. So if you, you, this is, what's so amazing about this is Jesus didn't go into the, the middle of nowhere to start a movement. He went right down into the belly of the beast. Now it's not Jerusalem, but everything is right there. And this is perfect training ground for his disciples. He's, they're going to see everything. The resistance to government, they're going to see oppressive government power, they're going to see all the pagan gods, they're going to have the religious side of them, both good and bad. So this is a perfect training ground for Jesus to show up with his disciples and put them through the paces. And they're going to go out into the world and basically change the world, but they're going to go having seen every, the whole world pass by them and, and taught by Jesus how they should be engaging that. So it's it's a remarkable little microcosm of Israel that becomes this prime training ground. And oh, by the way, you have to realize how many of your, how many of the disciples came from the zealot side of the river, from Bethsaida. And when, you know, we don't think of the zealot or the, the disciples as zealots, but you know, at the, when, when they arrest Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion, Peter pulls out a knife and tries to cut off the servant of the high priest's ear, or he does. That's what the zealots would do. They would, they would, if they found a high priest or someone who was a priest, they would cut off a body part. Because the Bible says, if you're missing a body part, you can't serve in God's temple. So they would cut off a nose, an ear, a finger. And that's what Peter does. He's thinking like a zealot. And thankfully, he was able to turn that zealot en energy when he finally figured out what Jesus was talking about. And he went out and changed the world. But we just realize that's where he comes from. That's his background. Okay. Hopefully that helps set up. This is what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to go place to place to place and say, what is it about when Jesus goes here? Who's his audience? What's he doing? What does he say? How are they reacting? Every little area, we have to pay attention to that. Okay. Let me give you one example. I'm going to finish up with this one example. So Capernaum. Well, in Hebrew, kafar, you can say this out loud, you're, you're muted, kafar nahem. Kafar means village. Nahem is somebody's name. So it's the village of nahem. 
Kafar Nahum. We stopped at this one really cool little village called Kafar Tikva. Tikva means hope. It's the village of hope, and the, the whole village was built for um, families with uh, children with disabilities. So the, the entire either learning disabilities or physical disabilities. So the whole city is designed simply for those kids. And it's called the city of the village of hope. It's a really cool little town. Anyways, Kafar Nahum, Capernaum. So we're going to go, we're going to look at one sentence in the Bible and why understanding the context of the location helps you at least, uh, it boosts what Jesus is saying because you now get a better feel for it. Okay, so Capernaum, on your map, Capernaum sits almost at the very northern part of that, of the Sea of Galilee. Obviously, this is the place where Jesus went and made his hometown. And it was one of the prime cities there in the Galilee in the first century. So right next to the sea, let me show you. Here's a fig tree. If you're wondering where any inspiration for fig tree ministries came from, it's this tree right here. You can sit under the shade of that fig tree at Capernaum. Notice that the sea, the Sea of Galilee, really a freshwater lake, but in Hebrew, there's only one word for any body of water, yam. And that doesn't matter if it's the, an ocean or a, a pond, it's yam. So the Sea of Galilee is yam. Anyways, so you can see it. Capernaum sits right next to the sea. That's important. Right on the sea, it was a fishing village. Here's their uh, synagogue. Now, this is a later synagogue, but it's, it's built upon the base of a first century synagogue. So there's a synagogue, of course, right at the center of town. Many of you have been to that synagogue. There's Peter's house. These are some of the, the houses in the village. That church that looks a little bit like a spaceship is actually built right above where they believe Peter's house is. There's been about five or six different churches built there. This is the latest church that you can look down into the house. So fishing was a major industry. The other main industry of Capernaum is the building of food processing equipment. Now, the rock, it's volcanic rock, so you have basalt. And basalt is a really hard rock, so if you can shape it into some kind of millstone or grinding implement, then it remains very hard and it can crush the grains very easily. So that you're looking at is an olive press or an olive crusher. So there's a millstone and an olive crusher. Here's a little bit different shot of an olive. We're not going to talk olive press today, but that's a millstone. And then you find these all over the place, grinding implements, right? So you have the, the upper half of a flour mill and the lower half. Put the flour in, turn it, it grinds the grain. And these are all over, found all over. And Capernaum was famous for the, the workmanship that went into building these food processing uh, equipment. And perhaps, you know, the, the Greek word tecton, which we interpret as carpenter, can also just mean builder. And, you know, for those of you who have been to Israel, you know how much wood isn't there. It's not like building in... Uh, in Northern Europe or in America, everything's built with stone. So perhaps it's possible that Jesus 
also worked with stone, and one of the reasons he went to Capernaum was because he had a trade of sorts there. He would at least identify with the people making the food processing equipment. All right, so here's where I want you to turn. Turn to Matthew 18. This is going to be our only one verse today that we're going to read and see how the context of Capernaum fits into one thing that Jesus is going to say. So Matthew 18, I'll give you a chance to turn there. It's verse 6 that we're going to look at. Matthew 18. I need to do I need to show you one sentence. You don't need to well if you're if you're in Matthew 18 it'll be easy to look cuz it's the paragraph just before Matthew 18. In Matthew 17 verse 24, Jesus or the the Bible writer Matthew tells us the location of what's going to happen next. So Matthew 17:24 says after Jesus and his disciples entered Capernaum. So we know where he's at, right? That's where we get our location. So now we need to know what's going on at Capernaum. Well, it's right next to the Sea of Galilee, and they, are in, they build millstones that are food processing equipment, right? So with that in mind, look at verse 6, Matthew 18, 6. So Matthew 18, 6 says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now notice what he's doing there. You're in the audience. He's giving you a teaching, and you look over, and there's the millstone. And then you look this way, and you go, there's the sea. And you look back, and you go, there's the millstone. And you start getting the, the sense of, Oh, wait a minute, that's a giant stone, and going in that water, we hate the water. We don't, we don't swim in the water. It's the place of judgment. It's the abyss that goes into the underworld. So you can see how poignant this one sentence is because it happens in Capernaum. Because you have millstones over here, right next to the sea over here, and his whole audience gets it. Now, it's not that we can't get it. But it's interesting to note that when Jesus talks millstones and sea, he's in the place where they make millstones right next to the sea. He doesn't do that in Jerusalem. He doesn't do it in another area. One way of thinking of it is Jesus teaches what he can see or what his audience can see. Whenever Jesus teaches, he teaches what you can see, if he can. If possible, he doesn't like to teach in the abstract. Whenever he's teaching about something, assume that the audience can see it. So when he says millstones and sea, well, you look over and there's the millstone. Because you're at Capernaum and millstones are everywhere. And then you look over again and there's the sea. And so you have, it's a more poignant way of thinking about the teaching. It's not that we can't understand millstone and sea, it's that He's doing it right next, you know, there's, he may have, you know, some scholars think, well, he may have said this, you should put one of those around their neck and throw them in there. Because he doesn't need to tell you millstone and sea, he's standing right there. That makes, and it just shifts. It doesn't say that you got the teaching wrong, because we all understand judgment. Uh, the point is, is that he does it at the place where there's millstones and sea. 
it deepens the teachings when you can see he speaks millstone and sea at the place where there's millstones and sea. Jesus does that wherever he goes. So he goes to Caesarea Philippi, he talks about the gates of Hades. Well, there's the gates of Hades are right there at Caesarea Philippi. Everywhere he goes, he speaks to what's right there that they can see, and that makes his teaching more concrete for his audience. So that was the main point. So this is introduction. Really important that we recognize. I'll, we'll even talk some about the politics, because the politics divide this region in a way. The political, it's like the three states coming together, and depending on which state you're standing in, you might be able to do something or not do something. The same thing happens here. What's going on on one side of the river versus the other side of the river? When Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, what's he talking about when he calls it the other side? So little things like that. So hopefully that will help at least build a picture in your mind that there's more to the context of what's going on in these and all of these stories and why Bargell Pixner emphasizes so much the idea that you speak to the land or the land, sorry, opposite. Land speaks to you. The land is the fifth gospel. You learn the Bible with your feet is what another way of putting it.